Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the 49ers Focus Podcast. That sound you heard is the 49ers season going plop, and we are here to talk about it. With me, as always, and Pharrell, how you doing today, buddy? I'm not doing as well as I was last week, but still doing pretty good, I guess, overall. Yeah, that was a rough way to <laughs> to finish out the weekend, for sure. Arguably the most, and I, I hate using this term in, in the NFL because things like this happen, but possibly the most embarrassing loss I can remember since the Cleveland game under Tom Sula's regime, which, you know, we knew once that Cleveland game happened that he was gone, like he was never coming back from that. Well, that's not the case here. Obviously, I'm not saying that's going to happen to Lynch or Shanny. It gave me those kind of feelings. That's how like kind of embarrassed I was by what I saw on the field. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a horrible loss. Offense, defense, neither of them showed up really to play. It was really tough. But for me personally, I think that a lot of it starts with defensive game plan and the way that we sort of set things up. I mean, Brian Allen obviously had a really rough game, but we gave him no help. I mean, we gave him absolutely no help over the top. I've never been a huge fan of the cover three scheme because it just puts so much pressure on your corners. And if you don't have elite corners, it's really, really hard to have success. And I think that Sala did not do a good enough job of recognizing what Miami was doing, which was going after Brian Allen. I mean, first play of the game, throw it up to him. And we were lucky that Preston Williams uh, rolled out of bounds because if he gets up, that's a touchdown on the first play of the game. He had zero help. We didn't give him any help. And it made no sense to me. It seems like Sala is kind of one of those guys, he runs his scheme and there's not really any schematic overhaul. A few years ago, we had a lot of problems running the zone where two guys would line up over two receivers and both of them would cover one wide receiver and then we'd have one guy wide open in the end zone. It was infuriating. So last year we had Joe Woods as our defensive passing game coordinator. And, you know, I feel like the the way that our secondary worked in unison last year was a lot better, but uh, it really helped. We were healthy. And when we lose a guy, we just had no, no answer to it at all. And it made no sense to me the fact that Witherspoon was active but wasn't healthy enough to play and simultaneously came, was good enough later on to come play. And I just feel like anytime Miami drops over 40 points on you, you're not going to win a lot of games. So that was uh, very disheartening to see from Sala. There was no adjustments. We just kind of tried to do exactly what we were doing. I mean, he's not Richard Sherman. And Miami knew it, and we didn't know it for some reason. We, we didn't adjust at all, and it was incredibly disheartening. Absolutely. And, and just starting from the top on this, on this game, we were outcoached, and that, that is the entire coaching staff. I felt like we got punched in the mouth right away and just didn't have a plan, and that goes for Shani and Sala and everyone down the, down the line. So with that being said, on the defensive side, yes, that was pretty atrocious. And the Sala thing is, so I find it very fascinating because I've never been a huge fan, but I've never, I've never hated the guy. I think he's fine. Like I, I think he's just a defensive coordinator. It, would I have been bummed had he taken or gotten a job in Cleveland last year? No. Truthfully, I'm probably more bummed that Joe Woods got a job in Cleveland as opposed to, to Sala, because if you had given me a choice, I probably would have elected to keep Woods. It, it's weird because he he's made some adjustments over his tenure, um, in terms of season long adjustments, but he still runs the basic principle, the, the same basic principle last year. There's nobody who ran more cover three, more quarters defense than us and the chargers. Like we were the number two. And I believe the chargers 
I could be wrong, but I believe their DC is, is Gus Bradley, who also comes from that Seattle background. So obviously that's a staple they want to go through. And I just don't know if he has an, a, a way to adjust throughout a season or in game. Like I haven't seen that too much. We've lamented the fact that he won't adjust with an, in terms of a spy when he's playing these mobile quarterbacks. I don't know how much adjustments he's making on the defensive front. And maybe that's a Kerseric issue, but I kind of feel like maybe not. So that part is that part is interesting. And once, you know, that game started and we saw Allen just getting torched and nothing was done. I, I don't know why we went Allen as opposed to Moore. Like I get that Moore is a safety, but he's got experience at corner and he had some ups and downs. You're talking about a guy we allowed to start who couldn't even play last year, right? He was and he I'm assuming we brought him over because we hired Tony Oden. They were both in Miami last year, so that's I'm assuming was the reasoning for it. But to put him into the starting lineup like that, I don't know. I think I would have just ran with more, even given his ups and downs as a corner over over his career. But it was a re- weird decision, and then we just never did anything until until we finally did something, and it was too late. And I just I don't know. We got we got ripped apart there, and Fitzmagic was Fitzmagic, and those receivers are quality. I, you know, Preston Williams. He slipped his draft year was because of some character issues, not because of the talent. The talent's always been legit. So rough showing for Salah, rough showing for the defense in general. Like I didn't I didn't see much of anything in that secondary. Like I just scares the living hell out of me. Jason Barrett played pretty well, I guess, but they they really ripped us apart. And I, I have nothing to say. It's been so long since we've seen something like that happen. You know? Yeah, they were ready for everything that we were going to run, and we were not prepared as a defense is the way it felt. And that's part of the reason why I'm sort of putting this on Salah's shoulders, because he did not he did not adjust the scheme mid-game at all, and he didn't sort of adjust. He's a good coach when he has the guys to run his scheme, and right now we don't have the corners to really run it. And like I said, this, this scheme is so dependent on having elite corners that can play that can be physical that can play sort of that deep third and when you don't have that he just didn't know what to do and you can't be in that position you know good coaches will figure out what their guys are good at and how to adjust and they'll change things on the fly the end game adjustments have sort of never been there from Sala. i mean there was a few times last year where he did some nice things the second rams game to me sticks out when they were hitting us with the bootlegs and uh, first, we were having our DNs crash down the line, and then we sort of told them, well, you know, watch the rollout from Goff. And as soon as we did that, the, it was a change. But overall, I'd say that his in-game adjustments are lacking, and it was horrible to see just no adjustments being made and watching Miami, you know, go up and down the field. Just we came out flat. I don't know what it is about being home. You know, we're 0-3, looking like a tough game coming up. No idea why this team is not showing up at home, but something they got to figure out right away. Yeah, that was a concern of mine actually last year when we ended up with home field advantage. I put it in one of the threads. I was like, we really, we've kind of dropped the ball at home a couple of times. I mean, we won the games, but there were a lot of times where we went out there and and struggled. And, and that was actually a concern of mine going into the playoffs. Now, obviously, we we made that through okay and, and ended up in the Super Bowl, but it was it was funny that it was a concern at all because it is definitely carried over this year and this has been a disaster. I don't know what's going on with the home thing there, but on the defensive, I just I don't know. I get that 
Allen is, is brand new. And, and I don't want to put any blame on him. I think, you know, Matt Mayoko kind of went off on the team after the game. And I think he's absolutely right. I don't think you can really say anything about Allen because, I mean, he, he's in the position he was in for a reason. He didn't play last year for a reason. He has been on the practice squad this year for a reason. So it's, he is what he is. And that's, that's a, that's whatever. He's also what our sixth corner at this point, something like that. So, I mean, it's hard to sit there and look at him and hold him accountable for this. He's just not very good. But I mean, the defense as a whole is just atrocious. Like we had, we had two quarterback hits from defensive linemen Two, They were both from Kerry Hyder. Nobody else laid a finger on him on, on Ryan Fitzpatrick. The other quarterback hits came on blitzes, Taylor, Quan, and Fred Warner. I don't, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick had a nearly perfect passer rating. It's 158.3 is the perfect. He was like 154, 155. He had a nearly perfect quarterback rating on that janky ESPN rating system. He had 99.1 out of 100. I, that's like, that is so much bigger than one cornerback who happened to get a start in this game. Like, I don't even know where to begin. It's just a disaster all around. And some of that's going to be, it's going to go away, hopefully, with some people getting healthy. But I know Sherman's had a setback in his recovery. So the, the concussion with Mosley, that's nonlinear progression. We don't know when he's going to be ready. So it's hard to say, like, when these guys are going to get healthy and be ready to go because these injuries are, are tricky when you're trying to come back from them. And meanwhile, this defense is just horrific. I, I, 43 points at home to the Dolphins. The Dolphins picked, what, fifth last year? They were... Yeah, before this game, or one and three, you know, like I don't, I don't know what else to do or what else to say. It's, it's, it's just a terrible, terrible game. Yeah, it was. It was embarrassing on both sides of the ball, and there was some nice things on offense, mainly due to Raheem Mostert. I mean, it was really nice to have him back. He had a really great game. He didn't. We kind of had to get away from him a little earlier than we wanted to, and we weren't able to sustain drives, partly because we were bad on third down again. And a lot of that goes to Jimmy Garoppolo and the offensive line. But Garoppolo obviously was not healthy. He was not moving well. He did not look like he trusted his offensive line, which I don't blame him at this point because they have not done a good job of protecting any quarterback that we've put out there. And, you know, I think a prime example of it was, you know, the first third down of the game, uh, Garoppolo drops back. He's got a clean pocket. He's looking to his left. He has Kendrick Bourne wide open beyond the sticks on the right side and just never looks at him. Locks on to a wide on to McKinnon for whatever reason, who's running an out route. And Garoppolo kind of shuffles to his left and creates an angle for the defensive end to disengage his block from Trent Williams. And Garoppolo throws the ball kind of out of bounds, out of reach of McKinnon because there was a defender draped all over him. And then not only that, he takes an awkwardly low hit on his leg and he tries to jump and kind of lands funny. And it was just kind of one of those plays where he did every single thing wrong. He moved into the pressure. He stared down a receiver. He made a throw that was not catchable on third down and then took a weird hit and clearly was not comfortable. And that was kind of summed up his day to me, you know, in a lot of ways because he was not accurate with the ball, which was, you know, very disheartening in a lot of ways. And you got to give Flores, Brian Flores, a lot of credit because Miami was running a lot of stunts and it seemed like they knew the ins and outs of our blocking scheme and sort of how to take advantage of it. It seemed like there were miscommunications, but I feel like that was partly 
due to the way that Miami was running their stunts in the 3-4 alignment, kind of dropping different guys and bringing different guys on other side and stuff like that. Last week when we were talking about the O-line, I had said that I didn't think that it was a lot of mental mistakes, that it was guys just getting beat. And I stand by that. This week, it seemed like a lot of mental mistakes. It seemed like there was guys getting getting through that shouldn't. You know, we had a couple of different plays where Trent Williams was looking at Lake and Tomlinson like, you know, what are you doing, man? I thought we were going to do th- this. I thought you had help on this side or things like that. So when your quarterback is injured and he doesn't trust his offensive line, he panics and, and it's a problem. That was really bad. So I'm glad you brought up the, the Jimmy Garoppolo play because, and I'm, I'm not going to relitigate this. Um, most people know how I feel. I, I think he's fine. I, you know, I, I don't think you're getting anything special. You can't dump him until you have better. And it's really kind of hard to find better sometimes. But that play encompasses the play you're referring to where he just miss, he misses wide open man, does everything wrong, kind of in, encapsulates my, my problems with him because a lot of people and a lot of times we want to make excuses for him. Like, oh, we've seen him do this. We've seen him do that. So we know we can do it. Yes. But the problem is consistency. That's what makes the good ones great and the, the average ones good and so on and so forth. And he doesn't do it consistently enough. And the problem is, is that we make these excuses for him. Like, oh, his offensive line is bad or, you know, oh, he, his receivers can't get separation or yada, yada, yada. But that's not always the case. Like you have to be able to separate what he's actually doing as a byproduct of other players and then hold him accountable for the stuff that he's just missing on his own, regardless of what's actually happening around him. And so when he isn't going through progressions or he's missing these wide open guys and he does it a lot, that's on him. That's that's him. That's That has nothing to do with the line. That has nothing to do with the receivers. Like these guys are getting open at points and he misses them. And he does that quite a bit. And that's one of the reasons why I've always been just sort of lukewarm on him. Now, this disaster, obviously, he was not ready to come play. I don't know what he showed during the week. I thought he looked okay. So, you know, when we posted the, the video and, and the threads, I thought he looked okay. I thought he looked healthy. I thought he was moving around okay. Clearly, I'm not a doctor. Don't know. He, he clearly wasn't, though. Like what we saw Sunday was not Jimmy Garoppolo. That was like the the worst Jimmy Garoppolo plus being hurt Jimmy Garoppolo. So it was like two things. It was the worst Jimmy Garoppolo you can envision, but also he's got to be hurt to reach that that depth level of ineptitude. So this game actually doesn't change my opinion on him at all because it's a one-game sample size and it's just a disaster. But I was glad you brought that up because these are the things that I'm looking at when I'm thinking about what I see moving forward with, with Jimmy these are the things that I'm looking at specifically. These are the things that I'm, I'm grading out and, and saying, okay, this isn't, this isn't on the line. This isn't on the receivers. This is on him. And that's why I do think, I do think that there is a realistic shot that we have a different starting quarterback next year. Still very early in the season to say that. He's got a lot of time to turn around. People are going to get healthy. And he's shown that he can be competent. But I think there's a realistic chance. Now, sometimes that doesn't have anything to do with him. You know, that could be, the Atlanta Falcons not being able to win a game and ending up with Trevor Lawrence and their contract, for example, is, you know, they're only underwater 3.5 million if they trade Matt Ryan next year. That's not bad. You know, it costs 3 million more to trade him than it does to keep him on the roster, but you can do that in a rebuilding year. You can just get rid of the, the dead money. And there's no doubt in my head that if Shani's given the choice of Garoppolo or Matt Ryan, we're going to have Matt Ryan next year. Like that is not even, that's not even a doubt in my head. Now, whether or not that comes to fruition, whether or not it plays out that way, I don't know. But I do think that there is at least a realistic shot that he is not our quarterback next year, given that he has no dead money. I don't know how committed they are to him, as we've discussed. 
you know, they haven't restructured them. So we'll see in, in regards to that. With the offensive line, you're right. Miscommunication is brutal. Twice, two sacks, I think. Trent Williams looked at Chuck Lake and Tomlinson and was like, dude, what's going on? He was very confused. Lake and Tomlinson has been very steady in the past. He's having an abysmal year. And as crazy as it sounds, because of the, the decreasing cap, because of COVID, because of the money issues, he could be playing for his job next year. You can't make six, $7 million in a year, have that kind of cap hit, and then have a bad year because they're just going to, you know, they're just going to replace you. That's how it's going to go. And that goes for a couple people. You know, McGlinchey probably doesn't have anything to work about. I think he's going into his last year and will probably pick up his option. So he's got a year or two. Williams had a bad game against the Eagles. I haven't rewatched all that, everything, but Jay said he did okay uh, with regards to the pass protection and, and so on in this one. Garland's a backup. Brunskill should be replaced. But we're also just missing blocks out in the edge. Dwelly, he just completely whiffed on his his block of Van Ginkle. Like, you gave up a sack to someone named Andrew Van Ginkle. I don't even know what to do with that. Kittle whiffed on a block where he basically had a choice between two people in the second half and blocked neither of them. That was George freaking Kittle. I don't even, like, I am so perplexed at what the hell just happened in that game from a meltdown perspective. I, everybody was just falling apart and it was insane i passed the point where i think the line is going to get it together you know like i don't know if it makes any difference at this point anyway i'd like to see what it looks like when richburg gets back i guess it would be my my main thing is like let's see what happens then yeah i mean we talked about it last week i wasn't sure where the improvement was going to come from because the whole right side is really just a complete mess and even when richburg comes back i mean he's had his own share of problems i think you're right i think lakin you know, is sort of regressing to the point where there's a reason that the Lions moved on from him as quickly as they did, even with him being a high first round pick. I think that there's definitely some serious issues. I know there's a lot of people talking about is our window closed. I know that you're sort of saying it, it's crazy that it could already be closed. I mean, it's we're definitely at a crossroads with the franchise right now. It's It's really crazy to be here when where we were. And I think sort of Robert Sala is sort of uh, the epitome of that. I mean, two years ago, we wanted everyone in the fan base wanted to fire him. Last year, everyone thought he was going to get hired as a head coach. And now, you know, rumblings are starting of let's get rid of this guy. So that's kind of the trajectory that our team was on. It's we're, we're either really good or really bad, it seems like. And as a fan, it's one of those things you want to just tear your hair out, especially when the offensive line, when they're rushing or and getting some guy that you blocked or getting somebody with a clean release. I mean, you know, that dwelly, sack that he gave up uh you know i don't know why we're asking ross Dwelly to block one-on-one in a passing situation i mean that's just not who he is and, and you know we had talked about on the forum about having kittle do pass blocking and people were pretty adamant they didn't want him to do it I understand why it's part of the scheme but uh you know i don't think Dwelly should really should be that guy i mean we need to put in you know school or somebody like that as like an extra tackle i think we need to start running a little bit more max protect I think, especially this week, I think we need to really make our quarterback, whoever it is, comfortable. I mean, I do think Garoppolo will be back out there again, you know, but I think as a team, it kind of snowballed. And one of the turning points to me in the game, you know, it's Miami was up seven, nothing, you know, we're on their side of the field, fourth and one, we line up really quick, snap it, try to run with McKinnon on the left side, which, you know, the left side behind Trent Williams, Lake and Tomlinson. That's where the beef of our O-line is. And, you know, we pulled Kittle and he did a nice wham block. Well, McKinnon didn't read it correctly. He just ran forward, ran right into Trent Williams' back, 
to the point where Trent Williams was making a block, but he got pushed out of the way by McKinnon, and McKinnon just ran right into that defender who then stood him up and made the play on fourth down. If, if McKinnon was using his eyes and took half a step to the left, he easily converts. He falls forward and converts. So it, that was showcasing one of the problems that I've had with McKinnon. Don't think his vision is very good. I don't think he has very good feet. He's a great athlete, but he's a good third down weapon. He's a guy you want to throw screen passes to, good pass blocker. But, you know, I don't really view him as a short yardage back. Mostert obviously isn't either. So that's kind of a problem for us. We don't really have someone like that. I mean, Jeff Wilson Jr. has done it in the past, but I don't think that, you know, they wanted to go to him on that fourth down. But that was a really big turning point to me because I think if we were able to convert that and go down and score, it's kind of a different trajectory of the game. I mean, we got down 14 nothing real quick and, you know, then it kind of fell apart. The wheels fell off. The energy wasn't there. I think maybe if there had been some fans in the stands, maybe kind of cheer them back or maybe they kind of snap out of it a little bit. But it was just the team was flat and there was nobody that really stepped up and made any sort of big plays favor that really turned the tides for us, unfortunately. I mean, I think we were still playing kind of hard. I mean, there was still some guys out there trying, but it was just overall very flat performance. I think that was one of the first times in the last few years, even, you know, a couple of years ago, we were bad. I mean, these guys showed up even with the CJ Beathard a few years ago, we lost however many games by three points or less. I mean, they showed up every week and they played hard and this was a game that they didn't show up. So that was uh, pretty concerning considering what was on the line. Crazy to think that a game in week five can be a must win game, but this certainly felt like it given the schedule we have coming up. And, you know, it seems like the playoff opportunity is slowly slipping away from us and unless we really get it together quickly. It's really rough looking at the rest of the schedule and, fe- and feeling confident. I, I mean, if you really look at the schedule right this moment, now, again, things change and, and you always have to keep an open mind and you have to be pliable and you have to be flexible and you're thinking about how things can, can change moving forward. But you look at the schedule right now and look at what we are coming off of the last two weeks. And the only game you can realistically look at and say, like, we should be favored is probably Washington. So, I mean, that's sort of a, a kick in the shin. It really is like to, to wake up and like just realize like, hey, we're five games into the season and out of the next 11, we should be favored in one of them maybe. And that's that's a bitter pill to swallow. And I think, you know, there, there are definitely some questions. I was with you on the McKinnon thing. Like, I don't understand that. And I've sort of had some issues with the personnel usage. We talked about a little bit in the Arizona game. And I don't think that this is the greatest season Shani's ever put together. I've always had some complaints, but you always have, as a fan, you always have some complaints. There's always something, you know, there are Patriots fans out there who talk about some of the moves Bill Belichick makes, you know, just as a, from a GM standpoint or or what have you, like how many drafts that he's, he's bungled over the years, but this just from a, from a standpoint of like, Hey, I'm evaluating it. Yeah. I don't think this is Shani's greatest season. It's specifically the, the thing that's really killing me is the personnel usage. So we'll see how that goes. And again, that could be a byproduct of all the injuries and, I thought Mostert looked great. Like I would have given him that crack because I thought he was running hard. I, I thought he was hitting people and he was pushing them backwards. And granted, that's that's sort of his thing when he gets speed and, and in short yardage, that's not perfect for him because he hasn't had a chance to get up that speed. So, but I I would rather that than than McKinnon just because I at least know that he's going to 
immediately run forward. He's not going to dance or do anything like that. McKinnon has a little dancing to him sometimes. He didn't on that play. It was just, it was also a slow developing play, like shotgun, the handoff. I didn't like the way that that whole thing was just set up. A very, very weird choice in that situation. But overall, other than that, the running game with Mostert looked great. McKinnon didn't get in as much as, as he had been. That was really his only rushing attempt, I think. And then he had... I don't know, a couple, I think he had a couple targets. Like he was, it was a very quiet day for him. So I don't know all around. Like I said, it was just sort of like this, a complete meltdown um, with the team and hopefully we'll get better. I, I don't, it's really hard to say. I, I was a little surprised. So like I'm with you, it, it seems so weird that we had like Dwelly out on the edges trying to, to block one-on-one. We didn't run many two, two tight end sets at all. This was weirdly similar to the Arizona game where we we simply just didn't run two tight end sets. Uh, I think Dwelly had a couple of snaps, and I'm not even sure if Warner got into the game, if we're being completely honest. But, Dwell, okay, so Dwelly got one snap. God, the one snap, he, he, he got beat for the sack. And then Warner had two. And that was such a big thing for us last year. Only, I, be, I believe... Only Minnesota ran more two tight end sets last year. I know Philadelphia would have been close. So clearly we're just out of our comfort zone here. Like we're not doing anything we want to do. And I mentioned it in the thread, but like at this point, if you're Shanahan, like it it seems like he doesn't trust anybody. Like he's in a position and and granted some of that is obviously game flow related, but it just doesn't seem like he trusts anybody at this point. Like he doesn't know what to do with any of these guys because yeah, you, know, you, you put Dwelly in for one play and he misses on a block and you get sacked and there's a fumble. And I, I, I don't blame him for not having any any faith or trust in, in some of these guys he's working with. I'm, there's a guy, I don't know if he's healthy, but I don't, maybe the team can look into someone like David Morgan. David Morgan is essentially Levine Toilolo, an excellent blocking tight end. Uh, we acquired him in FFMD, I believe. Um, he's familiar with the blocking scheme because he played for Minnesota, so he comes from the Kubiak system. And that's what he does. He's not much of a pass catcher, but he blocks. And I don't know, maybe maybe it's worth it to give him a call at this point. I, I don't know what else to do because we need something in there that's going to help this line. Otherwise, it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. It doesn't matter who the receivers are. They're, they're just going to get crushed. And Yeah, you're right. I think Kyle is really frustrated. I think you could see it in his eyes. I mean, you know, he's wearing the mask, so it's hard to see exactly. But you could see it in his eyes, I think, that he is really frustrated. I think that interception that Garoppolo had at the end of the first half where he kind of just threw it up kind of reminded me of the throw that Nick Mullins had a couple last week. But I really think that it's one of those things that when Kyle, you know, as a creative type, when he's not in a rhythm and he doesn't trust anybody, he doesn't really have sort of the edge that he needs. And I think that we have had a lot of people dissect our offense given the success we had last year front and center stage and I think that you know some teams have started to figure out some tendencies of what we like to do and not blocking you know I used to say this about McVeigh a lot and why I think McVeigh was slightly overrated maybe he's coming back around now but the Rams O-line was phenomenal a couple years ago and last year it was not and it looked like McVeigh went from being able to call any play in the world and have it working to you know kind of people jumping on him and and it seems like the Rams have sort of come full circle now. And But, you know, for us, given where the O-line is, I feel like it's just kind of our quarterback's confidence is shot, our play caller's confidence is shot, and it's just we're not working together in unison as an offense. 
And, you know, I think that the only way forward is for Garoppolo to really prove to us that he's that guy. I mean, this year to me now is just an audition for him. It's really, is he going to be our quarterback next year? Is he the guy that is going to prevent us from acquiring someone in the draft? We really have to decide, I think this year, whether or not he's the guy that can elevate everyone around him, which is partly what we saw from him a few years ago, which is why everyone was so excited about him. But he hasn't been that guy in a while. And these type of games kind of make people, I think, are making Kyle pretty confident. I'm pretty confident that Kyle is going to be looking for a new quarterback this year. I don't know if we're going to be super aggressive, like trading up in the first to get somebody. But if we're in the top 10, I mean, from where I'm sitting, you got to take a quarterback. You have to. I mean, you we're not. hopefully we won't be up this high ever again. Hopefully we can have a bounce back year next year. But if we're if we're anywhere within striking distance and you like one of the top guys, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is probably out of our price range, but maybe you can get Justin Fields if we're close enough. And I feel like if a guy like that is available, you go get him and you don't think twice about it. We obviously had our mindset a couple years ago, passing on Watson and Mahomes. I feel like we didn't really give him a, a real solid look because the plan was Kirk Cousins, which to me is a lateral move from Garoppolo. Like it, it, I don't really see what Cousins does that would make him, you know, an upgrade. But so I think that this this year, to me, when we had all the injuries, I said, hey, it's time for Garoppolo to go show us that he's the man. It's time for him to go take over games. It's time to win shootouts. The defense is going to have their problems. We're going to have to outscore teams. And I really feel like that still is the case. The only way that we're going to beat any of these teams is to win a shootout because our defense is not in a position that we're going to hold anyone below 30 points is the way it feels right now. So it's going to take our offense scoring. And I feel like a lot of that is on the passing game and our run game. I feel like Mostert is going to be there. He's been pretty consistent. This was a fantastic game from him. It made a huge difference in, in how our offensive line looked as far as run blocking goes, because Mostert hit the holes the way that you're supposed to hit them. Whereas McKinnon was kind of dancing the previous week. So I, I feel like we can still score points, but I feel like Kyle in the back of his mind is already moving on to like, I need to replace this guy. And I feel like when that happens, it's just hard to get back in sync. And maybe Garoppolo's feeling it. I don't know, but he did not seem like he had any semblance of confidence this week. And it was uh, horrible to watch as a fan. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that this is like a, is going to be like an audition for him because I actually think this, that there's a reasonable shot that this is the case for, a lot of people. And, and you had mentioned earlier that I, I kind of like have hinted that maybe the, the window is closed. And part of that, like understand for, for our listeners, the reason I think that is because I don't know what the hell is going to happen after this year. I, the, the, because of COVID, because of the cap, I don't know how all of these contracts and these roster players check out and you know who's still on the team and who's not and who we're replacing because there's going to be a chance that a guy like Tom Linson who counts $6.5 million against the cap that there's going to be a guy that you can replace who's better for less. So you're going to have to do a lot of reevaluating of your talent to find out if they are worth that cap hit in a new economic reality. And because remember, most of the time these cap hits go up the longer the contract is going, right? So year three is typically a higher cap hit than year one with the expectation that the cap will rise and you will continue to have that same percentage of the cap used up by that player. But that's not going to happen. We know that this cap is going to drop potentially $25 million. And so we got to start hoarding that money. And when I look at some of these things, like, I mean, let's be real. Let's let's 
100% be real. Richard Sherman hasn't played a full season since 2016. He is 33 years old next year, and he keeps suffering lower body injuries on a 33-year-old corner. At what point like, are we going to really lock into re-signing him? Is that something that we are going to do? Jimmy Garoppolo, you and I have discussed, everybody on the forum has discussed, that's going to be a, a thing moving forward. He's going to have to probably show it. I mentioned Lake and, Lake and Tomlinson. There are so many players like this that I think are going to be playing for a job. And not only that, but we've only got two more games, I guess, uh, until the trade deadline. There's a very realistic shot. We got, we got the Rams and the Patriots. I guess we have three more because we have the Seahawks and trade deadlines the third. There's a real shot that we could be two and six at that deadline. Who, with all of these free agents, who are we going to keep? I mean, because you might want to just have a bunch of throws at a dartboard here in this draft because it's kind of wonky with COVID and everything like that. We're already missing a third rounder, but like a guy who's coming up on free agency, Kerry Hyder, is it worth it to deal him? Probably. Is it worth worth it to deal Sherman? I mean, if he's back and healthy and he's playing, like, I don't, I don't know, but we have so many of these type of players who we could feasibly deal for picks coming up or whatever. And I don't know if we go full on sell mode, but I could certainly understand why we would do that if we're two and six and we have all these free agents. I mean, might as well load up on those picks. You can always re-sign these people if they want to come back. So it's, it's a really interesting situation. I'm, I mean, it's a little bit early to, to, to talk about it or to really dig into it because we don't know what's going on, but there's going to be a market that's flooded and we've got a lot of contracts and a lot of people who aren't playing up to their contracts or aren't worth that contract in a new reality. D Ford, Quan, these are guys that could absolutely be gone. And then we have to, you know, we have to replace all these guys and I don't know how that chemistry works, so on and so forth. So really interesting scenario upcoming. Uh, We'll see how it goes the next three weeks, but depressing game to watch and, and to kind of a sobering reality may be setting in for, for this team moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. It's, there's a lot of tough decisions coming up. I mean, Jaquaski Tart's a free agent. I believe Witherspoon is Emmanuel Mosley's a restricted free agent. So there's a lot of guys coming up pretty soon here that are going to be free agents. And it's what point is it? Do you sell anything that's not, you know, bolted down to the ground? Because you're right. We are, we do need draft capital. We're not, anywhere um, close to where we want to be financially. I mean, we don't have as much cap space as you might hope, partly because we've been overpaying players for years. I mean, I understand we were not a good team. That's part of being not a good team is that you have to overpay free agents to get back to a level where you can get discounts on guys, you know, and also to the state taxes and the fact that we're in a very expensive area. I feel like that was working against us signing these free agents, but a guy like, like Juice, I mean, he's, He's making a lot of money, and you know I don't feel like the production this year has been what it needs to be. Although I will say this was probably one of his better games all year, if not his best game. So, you know I, I don't know if that's something that we we pull the trigger on. But you're right. I think it is. You know we're we're coming up to a crossroads, and I I feel like that kind of all ties in back with the quarterback conversation because if you look at a team like Seattle, you know they had that you know defense, they had the run game, you know they had players all over the place. And they had a young quarterback who, you know, blossomed into, you know, an MVP candidate. And he has able been able to kind of help them win games that they shouldn't win and help them sustain success and sustain sort of the locker room culture and the, and the 
program that they have there. And I feel like, it, you know, with all these guys potentially exiting, it's kind of like everything we've been building over the last couple of years just went out the window. It's going to be a culture shock with, you know, a lot of new faces coming in. And I feel like quarterback sets the tone. So if you have a quarterback that elevates everyone else's play and can help you win games, maybe you shouldn't and can help you keep you competitive and a guy that everyone believes in, it can kind of, you know, sustain sort of the, the culture and the franchise, you know, over years and over lean years and mask other deficiencies. And I don't think that as of right now, Garoppolo is a guy that can do that. He's a guy that needs you know, all of these other pieces around him to be really successful. And I feel like with the coaching staff we have and the weapons we have on offense, we can still put up a lot of points, but that he's product of that rather than the exact reason that it's happening. So I feel like for me, where it starts this offseason is finding that quarterback that can be be the guy unless Garoppolo really proves that you know he is that guy and we go on an absolute tear, which at this point feels unlikely given given what we saw. So I feel like that, to me, is the best path to it. Hey, if we lose some guys, I mean, Jaquaski Tart, I think, is a guy we'd all love to have back. He's been phenomenal, but we can't afford him. We can't afford him and rather spend resources in an area, you know, on the most important position in football. Yeah, absolutely. And and we're going to have to look in the offensive line. And that's a tricky one because the most important thing is is usually cohesion and just chemistry with the line. So, I mean, if you're replacing potentially three people on that line, that's going to take some some getting used to. But that line as it is, isn't cutting it. So a lot of moving parts, a lot of and, and we're going to discuss this more later. There's so much unknown right now, and we don't know how these people are going to come back the rest of the season. There's still a long way to go. And while I don't have high hopes for the remainder of the season. Some of these guys may bounce back in a big way. So we'll see if that happens. And, and, you know, like I said earlier, you just got to be flexible in what you're thinking. And, you know, maybe as we go along, some of these guys change our minds on them and, and we feel comfortable with them moving forward or want to continue paying these guys. So we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. But I, I do feel like we're going to have some interesting pods moving forward with just discussing long-term options and, and potential with this team, because there's a lot of ways this can go with, with the number of people we have coming up, the age of a lot of these guys, the money, it's, it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating scenario to watch unfold. I have to say that I am excited, at least, you know, given everything going on in the world that we do get football, even if it's not very good football (laughs) from the 49ers standpoint, still a good thing to do in the afternoon on a Sunday. And it'll be, I'll still be watching it, excited to see exactly how this team responds because I think that it could get real ugly real quick. I think the character of the guys that we have in the building, everybody talked about it last year, how much these guys got along and how good the chemistry was. And so I feel like if we don't respond, it'll be sort of a black mark on what we've been building here because it does have the potential given the schedule coming up to get really ugly really quick. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out for sure. I'm a little bit less excited this week than I was last week, but they'll think that uh, it's, it's still entertaining for sure. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us in this one. Uh, as you may notice, we are not touching on next week's game. We are going to try and break these up a little bit more, maybe do a couple pods a week, one review, one preview, and then maybe throw in an extra pod uh, every few weeks just on our own topic that we might want to discuss uh, and for all uh, obviously brought this up in the thread. So uh, hopefully the shorter run times will, will make this a little bit easier for you guys as you're uh, doing your drives or runs or whatever you want to do. And you guys enjoy it. Uh, 
a little bit more truncated uh, as opposed to hearing us drone on, but we're going to call that a night tonight and hopefully I can get this up shortly and, and we'll get another one out to you before the game on Sunday. Any last words? I just want to say thank you to everybody out there for joining us for the full 45 or so. And uh, really appreciate you guys. And we hope that you're enjoying what we're putting out there. Yes, absolutely. And guys, you know, any ideas or anything you want us to talk on, or if you want to join us, please feel free to drop us a line. Let us know what's going on. We'd love to hear from you. We, we do this for the forum and really are just trying to have a lot of fun with it. So, you know, like I said, if you guys want to talk about something, you guys want to come on. Yes, absolutely. Just drop us a line. Let us know. And we'll start putting that stuff up in the in the thread for this as well, just so people know. But we'd love to have you on. So everyone, be, be healthy and be safe. We will hopefully talk to you again before the game. But uh, enjoy the rest of the week.